0: Hello, and welcome back to Positioning 365 Beyond Seating. In this episode, we continue to discuss the topic of 24 hour postural care management with my co host Leanne Hoffman and our guest Tamara Kittleson. Without further ado, I present you Episode 4, Part 2, 24 hour postural care management.
1: I have seen very similar results in terms of reduction of tone. I've experienced family members and caregivers sharing with me how suddenly it's easier to get their loved one dressed in the morning One foster mother of a young lady, a young adult, told me that once she began implementing positioning as her daughter slept at night, she was able to set their alarm for a full one hour later in the morning because it was so much easier to do the morning care for her daughter because she wasn't so stiff. And I think all of us would agree, any of us who are therapists who have any amount of experience, that we would much rather work on therapy goals with somebody who has a reasonably symmetrical midline-oriented aligned body if we're going to compare it to somebody with extreme posture deviations. If we can provide somebody with the foundation of decent posture, then you're going to be able to take on the building blocks of uh, moving on toward um, the other therapy goals that you want to aim for.
2: Tamara, I think that is such an important point that you've made. And we've often spoken about this, where I think as clinicians, we almost have become sort of desensitized to positioning. So, and I think I speak for this phenomenon that's happened where we almost accept that folks with complex health conditions have postural asymmetries. It's almost to be expected. And, you know, sometimes you'll throw this wild statement out there and say, these postures are avoidable. We could have addressed them earlier. Gravity has as a role to play with a correct positioning So, I think as clinicians, we have become desensitized to accepting that someone is going to present with pelvic obliquity or a dislocated hip. Oh, it's just because of this condition that they have. And it's just retraining our brains that gravity can be used in a beneficial way. So, we're so accustomed to highlighting the secondary complications of poor positioning. You know, respiration is impacted. There's pain. And I think, Tamara, you did a a Montana project. Would you mind sharing about that? Because, you know, the topic of pain, comes back to positioning and i think about your project in terms of what your findings were can you share with us about that yes i'd be glad to i was fortunate
1: enough to gain funding from the montana council on developmental disabilities for a pilot study we called it the montana postural care project and it occurred over three years from 2016 through 2018 I'm actually in the process of trying to get a manuscript published to share these results in a way that will be searchable, but I'm happy to share what we found. We did not focus only on one diagnosis. We had a cohort over the three years of 74 people, all ages ranging from age one to age 64. They were all people who had some kind of developmental disability movement limiting condition. And the model was that for each of the project years, once we had found volunteers through a process that we developed to participate in the project, we began it with a training course. I I got approval for CEUs through the University of Pittsburgh, so we were able to invite as many clinicians as possible who would come because, don't you know, they could get free CEUs. I wanted that to be a calling card. But we also trained not just clinicians, but we trained the families and caregivers. There were some nurses there, many, many people working in different contexts with the folks who needed positioning. We trained everybody in the same room together, which is a little bit unusual. Usual in this country, but it worked out really well because people learned a lot from interaction with each other, a kind of interaction they don't usually get. After the training to teach them about this thing called 24-7 PCM, we then went and did a home visit with each person where I conducted an evaluation looking at body symmetry. We had particular measurable outcomes, and they were related to body symmetry, pain, and sleep quality. And so we had our measures that we took at the beginning. And then depending on the year and where people lived geographically, it was usually usually six to nine months after the first visit when we had the follow-up visit. After we did the assessment, provided some basic pieces of positioning equipment and supplemented them with things in the home to be able to provide the people with a therapeutic lying posture when they were out of their wheelchairs, because it's really important to realize, I haven't mentioned it yet, but posture can be therapeutic or destructive. And most of these people, um, infants and adults, were lying in destructive postures that we wanted to try and change. What we found at the end of this pilot study over the three years, believe me, I was pretty scared going for the follow-up visits after the first year because I had gambled on getting good results. And while I believed that this was possible, it felt like a pretty big risk. And so I was sort of holding my breath a little bit. But to my amazement, we found that the majority of people experienced improvements in their body symmetry. If this were not a pilot study and we could talk about statistical significance, it would be that changes in chest symmetry and in pain reduction were actually statistically significant for the populations and the measures that we used. Not only that, but a majority of people also showed improvement in sleep quality. And I think that's also another really important thing to highlight. The reduction in pain and the improvement in sleep quality is really big because oftentimes a criticism of trying to do therapeutic positioning for somebody while they're embedded night is that people assume that it will ruin their sleep and they won't be able to sleep well. I think I can speak to both Leanne and me that we put a big focus on making people comfortable because this will not work if people are not comfortable and they're not sleeping well. We're really trying to harness the power of gravity while a person is asleep and in deep sleep states where muscle tone naturally relaxes so that we can help to, in a sense, remold the body into a healthier shape if it has already entered an unhealthy shape. So obviously we don't wanna ruin people's sleep, we wanna help them sleep better. And the results that we saw in the Montana Postural Care Project in that cohort was that it is possible to not only reduce pain in people who had moderate to severe pain at their initial visits, but also improve their sleep quality.
2: Camera, I think that is such an amazing share. I think, you know, the the thing that everybody can relate to is you've had a bad night's sleep. How does that impact your day? How does that impact your interactions, your driving, your mental calculations, all the things. And something that, that we always speak to as well is we're addressing the sleep positioning and by default, this impacts the quality of sleep that the individual is having. Can you speak more to the impact that it also has on the families?
1: Well, that's obviously a really big one. You know, if a person is living in a family home, whether this person is a child or an adult or even in a group home situation, getting a good night's sleep is going to be very important for that person in terms of brain detoxification that we now know takes place during the hours of sleep, as well as just feeling rested and feeling more functional during the day, as you've just said, Leanne. But it's also really crucial for parents and family members who are very often chronic chronically sleep-deprived from being up with wakeful loved ones who are unable to sleep because of pain, because of whatever. So if you can improve the quality of sleep for a user of 24-7 PCM, you're going to be improving the quality of life for all of the people who surround that person.
0: I've heard a lot of people have concerns especially when you're doing supine sleep positioning about facilitating pressure injuries. Can either of you speak to that? Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. This is a podcast, so you can't
1: see images that I would be able to share with you otherwise. But in the Montana Postural Care Project, we were very aware of this potential drawback and thus were very careful in our development of each individual person's sleeping position. I actually used a pressure mapping setup use that a lot as a tool to be able to assess particularly for people who were the most high risk whether this change that we were making was going to be for the better or for the worse if it was going to increase their risk or cause problems and i learned a lot through that experience I actually have some comparative pressure map images that show exactly the same person lying on a mattress with no postural supports at all. And then that same person on exactly the same mattress the only difference being that we added postural supports and the improvement in the pressure mapping was remarkable. And because we were able to, well, I think this was because we were able to distribute the pressure more evenly throughout the person's body. I will say that you have fewer pressure points in my opinion, when a person is supine compared to sideline, there are more bony prominences that are going to be more problematic in sideline compared to supine. You've just got a larger body area over which you can disperse the pressure in a person who is supine. And we found that by using the pressure mapper, we were able to play around with angles play around with where we put the positioning components. Oftentimes people are also worried about people in supine and their aspiration risk potential breathing problems. So we were able to play around with the angles of head elevation and looking and seeing what difference that might make, for example, at the sacrum and at the coccyx. So by using the pressure mapping as a tool, we were really able to dial in a safe and therapeutic lying posture for people. And I can say that of all the people we worked with on the Montana Postural Care Project, none of them developed pressure problems. And I will also say that one little boy whose family was convinced that he would never, ever be able to lie on his back to sleep without aspirating and dying. uh, We were actually able to eventually transition him to supine sleeping, um, which pretty quickly began to correct his barrel chest and his kyphosis also enabled him to sleep without having skin breakdown on his cheek and his ear from being on his side. And we, we did it by angling him up at about a 35 degree head elevation angle. And if you try and use those sorts of elevation angles for people without posture supports in bed, it just doesn't work. We had one client whose family had her sleeping at a 45-degree angle in a hospital bed under doctor's orders because of worry about aspiration. And yet, because until they met us, they had never heard about positioning in bed All that happened was that she just slid down the bed like she was sleeping on a hill and she fell over sideways like the leaning tower of Pisa. And her positioning was terrible and she wasn't gaining the benefit of having the 45 degree angle that her doctor wanted. And so I would add that for people with aspiration issues, breathing issues, being fed by pumps with feeding tubes at night, you can actually have people elevated safely by using pressure mapping as a tool and by providing them the, with the supports that they need to be in symmetry and midline orientation while they're elevated.
2: Tamra. My goodness, you said the word aspiration, and my mind went right back to a client in the south of Texas. And I had been asked to assist with the custom seating and why the client wasn't using the custom seating. It was reported to be uncomfortable, and I had had been able to resolve that. And of course, speaking with a physical therapist, I started to discuss what other postural orientations and what other support there is for this gentleman. And I said, would you mind documenting some information about sleep positioning and just what happens overnight? And she sent me a couple of images and said, this is kind of his positioning and lying. He's asleep. And they put a post-it note on his knee <laughs> and just documented the time, which I thought was pretty old school, but I like it. I could see how his posture deteriorated throughout the evening, which was the head of the bed was elevated and he was collapsing, as you said, Tower of Pisa down to one side, no postural support. And I asked the why question, that dreadful why question of why is the head of the bed elevated for this individual? And the physical therapist was kind enough to say, let me get back to you on that. And the answer she came back with was one that we discovered we need to all ask why. The answer she came back with was, in this 60-bed unit, 60 bed unit 6 zero, one person was at risk of aspiration. Therefore, thou shalt all have your beds up <laughs> at 45. So this blanket policy of raising the head of the bed up to prevent potential future aspiration had led to further postural deterioration. So I understand why we do that and the precautions behind it. It just made me think, oh dear, what's happened to the other, you know, the one person's at risk of aspiration. My client was not, but had the head of the bed raised. What's happening with the other 58? So again, I think it challenges us to ask the question why, and I think it also asks us to be mindful of what are the goals of 24-hour posture care management. So We now interrupt this podcast with a word from our sponsor.
3: An easy stand is, it's just psychologically, it's a cool thing for us to use. Um, one of the first times I got into a standing frame, I was with somebody and I immediately tears on her face, seeing yeah. me standing upright and so that's the sunny I remember. And also too, getting up in the, the standing frame, um, it's weird. my body has more activation in it. Because right now it's like my trunk's not completely really activating but when I'm in the the standing frame, my glutes activate, my trunk activate, my back extensors activate, and I feel better. I feel like I could breathe better. It's weird, there's something like my body just, it feels more natural, you know? And I think that's the one thing we're always searching for, is to be more natural. You know, because right now we're kinda at a an unnatural stance, you know, sitting all the time, you know, and getting the pressure off of our butts is a big thing too, you know? I mean, every we always gotta shift, and we're constantly moving because it's so uncomfortable. In a extending frame it's a nice stretch you know and it just gives you like makes your body feel cool again too first time i've seen it it was like it it drew my attention right away like as soon as i turned the corner of the gym and i saw it i was like ooh, what's that you know um, and then you know from that point on i started using that as part of my daily routine
2: Now back to the podcast. What would you say the goals are of 24-hour posture care management?
1: Oh, they are many and varied. You know, I think obviously body symmetry and trying to prevent or correct body shape distortions, postural deviations is very, very key. But we're also looking at pain, as I mentioned earlier, at sleep quality at trying to improve the person's quality of life overall through putting all of these together into a package that works for the unique individual that we have in front of us. I think it's really important to share that there's the whole range of people who are going to be able to benefit with this from the little baby who graduates from the NICU where interestingly enough, people pay attention to positioning in the NICU, and then babies are sent home, and suddenly it's like this topic doesn't even really exist. So I think looking at the early ages and stages, whether you're talking about an infant or a person with a new injury, a person who's just had a stroke, whatever, I'm doing what you can to help preserve the natural body symmetry that a person has. So we've got that as a goal for some people who haven't yet become distorted. And then we've got the people who have become distorted, but We can see that there's room for improvement and that we could turn back the clock. And I do mean that literally because I've had the chance to see it now over a number of years, that we can turn back the clock and restore people back to where they were or close to where they were and improve things for them. But I think we also need to keep in mind the people who have become very, very distorted over time through the action of their postures and gravity and time and have dislocated joints, sometimes several dislocated joints, and they're in pain and they're not sleeping well. And realistically, there's not a way that I'm going to be able to relocate somebody's hip joint or knee joint that has become dislocated because of poor positioning. However, I think that we can look at the people for whom we may not feel a lot of hope that we're going to restore their body shape back to where it was, and we can still address the issues of pain and sleep. And what I've been told time and time again with people with whom I've worked, as well as people in Peru with severe distortions, is that once you add in therapeutic positioning to support their limbs and their body while they are lying, A, their pain reduces, and B, they begin to sleep better. People in group homes reported to me that one particular client stopped calling out in the night and began to sleep through the night once we just began to support his body in the shape that it was in. We didn't try to change anything. We just gave him support all around him so that he could feel nested and supported, and it improved his sleep. So I think that, you know, you you have different goals according to who you're working with. You might have a goal of improving somebody's transfers. I think about a young man I worked with through the Montana Postural Care Project who had CP and his hip abduction and external rotation and stability at his hips was being compromised to the point where he was going to lose his ability to do stand pivot transfers. I have a set of absolutely riveting slides showing him over three years and the changes that were made in his hip range of motion and posture symmetry that allowed him to hold on to and even improve his ability to do stand pivot transfers. And if that isn't a big thing for a teenager in a wheelchair, I don't know what is. So we may have... A host of different goals that are all going to hinge back to the idea of having a well-aligned
2: body that can let you do more in your life. Thank you, Tamara. My mind goes to discussing with occupational therapy students goal writing. So we've just spoken about goals, and often we use a coast goal format and the T in coast stands for time. So what is our timeline that we attach to things? And I think it's worth adding context to the conversation that the postural changes, deviations, distortions, they've taken many, many years to actually occur and to result in what we see today in, in asymmetry. So I think it's it's helpful to just state this out loud and be super obvious about it that the interventions that we do implement are not going to have this immediate magical unicorn impact and in, and make you know immediate improvements in terms of symmetry and you know alleviating some of the secondary complications that the context is these took many many years weeks months days hours minutes to get to this point therefore interventions will need to take time to actually have an impact and meaningfully make those changes so again you know I don't want to go into the whole sarcomia conversation but there there is a physiology that needs to happen as well you know now using gravity using the correct positioning educating families and caregivers as well so I know that we have the saying about change doesn't happen overnight but it happens at night to advocate for positioning in lying Tamara, I wonder if you could share more about available resources for caregivers and for clinicians.
1: Oh, I'd love to do that. And I'll say just right up front, as I share this, these are all free resources. There's no paywall that's going to limit you from accessing these resources. I have a website, um, very simple name, posture247.org that you can find really easily. And there is a resources page that has a lot of information and then resources slash learning materials has some really wonderful learning materials that an OT doctoral student did with me in 2021. It was her copstone project for her doctorate. And there's a whole series of PDFs and also instructional videos that take you through about the theory and assessment and how to use homemade materials to do this intervention. It's a really nice, lovely setup, and and I give all of the credit to her for the work that she did. And one of the things I'm really excited about is there is a little testimonial video from one of my former clients in Montana, um, encouraging other young adults like her with CP to give it a go, and what a difference it's made for her life. So, that's one potential resource. Another one that is very specifically oriented to caregivers, although clinicians are welcome as well, is on Facebook. It's a private group called Intro to 24-Hour Postural Care. It was created by a friend of mine in Leanne's, Trish Toole, an OT in Seattle, who has a young adult son with complex CP. All you have to do is ask to be made part of the group, and she has a series of seven brief video lessons that people can use for education and to help understand how to start doing this for instance i've referred group home managers to go and become part of that group so that they could learn from those video series particularly during the pandemic when there was a period of time where i wasn't able to go out and see people another source is the rehab engineering society of north america the resna website where our 24 7 posture care management special interest group has our own webpage. You can find some good resources there and a reference list to be able to look up. Ultimate Medical has all kinds of interesting resources on their website, including webinars and information that are related to these topics. And then the last one I can recommend is on the Ride Designs website. Um, There is a section called Ride University that provides free CEUs. And I did a two-hour course for them called Made for Each Other, kids custom seating and 24-7 PCM. And I was able to go into a lot of the background of 24-hour posture care management in that course. So all of these things, have I forgotten any, Leanne? I hope I haven't, because this is all enough to keep you busy, keep our listeners busy for a little while, and all of it is free and readily available.
2: Emma, I think you've done a great job outlining the resources. I think we've just mentioned a handful, but, you know, every day there's something new coming up and there's there's many CEU opportunities as well. Some of them do have a paywall, but again, the resources are out there. So I think you've mentioned um, a, a nice variety across the board that's available, kind of homegrown information, if you like, specific to the setting of the United States and funding sources. So I think that's super helpful. One of the things I enjoyed finding from the student who did the project on your uh, website, on your resources page, was the CPT codes that she added. I thought that was quite a helpful um, starting point for a lot of clinicians to signpost in there to know that we can code and bill and, and you know, provide a, a service and the codes are there to justify that as well. So thank you for that.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up, Leanne, because that has often been a question I get when I'm teaching workshops and courses, is how can we bill for this? And people seem to oftentimes think that maybe this is somehow different from all of the other therapeutic interventions that we as OTs and PTs do, when in reality, we do have CPT codes that fit this intervention just fine. So, I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you.
0: Well, I want to thank you both and give you each a moment to see if you have anything else to add. Tamara?
1: I just hope that the listeners to this podcast will really take all that we have been sharing to heart and realize that there is this important foundational intervention that could make all the rest of their therapy lives easier, make their wheelchair seating outcomes better, make their standing programs work better, that there is this third way that we can use as a foundation and not just be bound by the idea of you either do nothing or you do surgery.
2: I love that you said that, Tamra. I think I'm going to add to that, be curious. Be curious and have a call to action. So I think most clinicians who come to appreciate that 24-hour posture care management is an intervention that is impactful and does have results and has a huge impact on someone's positioning, therefore their function, and not just theirs, but their community around them, their family, their caregivers, I think my, my big call to action would be You will probably be feeling some guilt about thinking about all the folks that you've seen in your in your career of. Oh, but I didn't look at their positioning outside of the chair or I did not position them in the lying orientation. And we all feel that way when we have new information of, but I didn't do this thing that I now know. You did the best that you could at the time with knowledge that you had. Now that you have this knowledge, my call to action to you would be, what will you do going forward? How will you implement? How will you be curious? How will you search for more information to help have that impact on someone's positioning, therefore their life and the life of those around them? So that's my call to action. And I want to say what a wonderful way to spend a Friday morning with two very knowledgeable people and to go down this trip of memory lane about positioning and just to hear how it's impacted you, mary Ann, and your experiences, and then Tamara as well, there are such synergies in what we've experienced. And I'm hoping that the listeners, as we've shared our stories and our positives and negatives about the situation of positioning and where we are and where it can be, I hope you've all felt that you've come on this journey with us and you've been nodding your head in agreement that there's so much more work to be done. So I think that's my call to action is what will you do going forward?
0: Well, thank you both. And Leanne, the whole guilt issue, if our viewers watch one of the webinars that I did on preventing deformities, I start with a young woman that I talked about that I've known at eight and 38, and I feel so guilty. If I had known then what I knew now, and even working in the institutions, you had talked about, we just accept the state school that I worked at, everybody had severe deformities. And I was a new grad and new into the system. I'd, you know, I'd done my volunteering and working with camps and things. And it's like, at that point in my life, my understanding was these people have cerebral palsy, they have tone, they have lack of ability to move. So we're going to get dislocated hips, they're going to have scoliosis, they're going to have hip and knee flexion contractions. And that was just the way it was. And what you did was you treated it after you saw it. I'm hoping along with your call to action, Leanne, people start thinking of the future. We've learned from the past. And I think as a practice or as a group, we're very reactive. We look, we do an evaluation, we see a problem and we address and make goals to that. I'm hoping that our listeners are going to start saying, okay, here is the facts of this client that I'm working with. This is what I know from history. If I don't intervene prior to seeing it, so I become proactive and not reactive, their life is going to be so much better and they're going to be much more functioning. Sorry, I'm getting on my soapbox. But you also get rid of the guilt, which is I think my lifespan now is to try to get rid of the guilt of what I didn't do when I was young. Marianne,
1: it's a really good soapbox that you just got on. I'll just say one last little thing is that I think that people need to believe that there is such a thing as a crystal ball, that you can look at people, at their postural tendencies, and even though they haven't become severely distorted yet, you can learn to read the signs and see the red flags. You can see through a crystal ball and you can use what you see in the crystal ball to make a difference for people in the future
0: and also look at their environment. We've touched on it a few times throughout this. The way their world is set up will affect how their body reacts to it. That wraps up the discussion of 24-hour postural care management for this installment of Positioning 365 Beyond City. I wanna thank my co-host, Leanne Hoffman, and our guest, Tamara Kittleson, for participating in this exciting discussion. I'm your host, Mary Ann Girardi. Thank you for listening.
2: Today's podcast was brought to you by Ultimate Medical, the home of Easy Stand, Activate, and Medical Positioning.